You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. you to find scripture and head to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel chapter 7 is where we're going to read a bit from this morning before we start into just looking through various scriptures. So this is one place among many that we'll either be going or I'll mention and you can write down or, or look at later. But um, Daniel chapter 7 I'll start in verse 9 here and then just read through verse 18. So Daniel 7, if you want to find your way there. I've got a picture from last week. We were in Psalm 30, and Cora Matheson was with us. I don't think she's here today, but I had... Kids, you did awesome. I had a stack of pictures, and you can see them. Last week's is always on the top in the back. or Not the back, it's the front entrance, isn't it? And it's on the top there. That's last week's. Uh, six or seven of them, maybe. You guys all, it was wonderful. Thank you, kids. I loved it. Cora drew this, and you've got um, a couple helpers here. The temple looks kind of like a tent, but that's the temple. There's a well. We talked about David being drawn up, that well-like language drawn up from Sheol, or, or a, there's a kind of a pit over here, uh, the underground where, where God drew him up from the pit, and how uh, David... Uh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for, for, to give thanksgiving for what God's grace had done. So Cora caught that and appreciate her turning that in. So, All right, well, let's look at God's Word here. First off, Daniel chapter 7. Now, we're kind of, kind of midway. There's some, there's some vision going on here of Daniel, lions, uh, bears, that sort of thing. And we're just starting in verse 9 here. Let me read God's Word for us to give us a little bit. God's Word says this, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Let me pray for us again. Lord, we thank you that 
We have your word before us and your spirit who dwells within us as believers in Jesus. What hope we have today and every day in you. Lord, would you just guide us as we look through Scripture and we look at Jesus once again to view perhaps familiar themes that we've heard before. And yet, Lord, we're here on November 29, 2020. Most likely in a different place we were last November. And Lord, you move amongst us. And so with the familiar themes of what we have before us, move again that we might be in awe of your glory and worship you with our hearts to our King as we just sang about, that we'd bring an offering to you of worship. Guide our time in your word. We would pray for each heart that's here. Give us attention, conviction, and strength to do what you ask. And we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Remember that familiar scene? I mean, it's, we got candles, Christmas tree, that familiar scene in, in Bethlehem. I think uh, Luke records it. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Those, those few lines bring a lot of pictures to our minds of, of mangers and, and Joseph and Mary. And maybe you played Joseph and Mary in, your, in a play when you were younger too or, or somebody is in the in town of incarnation coming up, whatever. Um, or shepherds, all those scenes, cave, stable, wherever that was, all these scenes of this. And in the past years, we've looked at some of these stories. We looked at the shepherds, uh, looked at Joseph some. Last year, we kind of just did a little bit of study on Mary and, and, and her kind of specific story a little bit. And this year, we're, we're broadening out a, a bit and broadening kind of, you know, what does Scripture say? And the question is, that we posed last week, that little sheet, maybe you had time or not as a family to, to think about that. Why did Jesus come? That's the question over these weeks of Advent that we're looking at, wanting to, to answer, at least partly. Questions like, why did God take on flesh? Or, or what are the greater purposes? We know there's the night in Bethlehem, but what are the greater purposes um, to that? I need to say here that this, the, the question I'm asking, why did Jesus come, is actually um, influenced, I think maybe last year I jotted down, that would be a good series. It's influenced in part by a book that John Piper wrote years ago. I don't know when it was, but he wrote, uh, the title was it, 50, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. Kind of just a, um, a, a really interesting to think. There's, wait, there's 50? I thought he just died for... Wasn't there just one reason? You know, what are these facets of that? And so that's kind of what led me to this question. Now, I want to say something. Okay, pause. All right, I'm over here. What I just mentioned, I just mentioned John Piper's name. Some of you know, some of you are going to go, who? That's okay, okay? Some of you know, weeks ago, before the election, he wrote a pretty controversial article about the election, Okay. Some of you, and we're looking at not, not a terribly helpful article. Some stuff maybe in there you could, I could tweak, say, okay, that's, it's good to think about, but ultimately not helpful. Some of you are really frustrated with, with him for that. And I just mentioned his name. 
I'm just saying that, and, and for good reason. Because, um, you know, we've got ideas and things and all these sorts of things. What does it show? Anybody we look at, so John, I say John Piper, maybe you don't know that name, Billy Graham, whatever, familiar names. At some point, they, they fail us, don't they? They're just like, ah, oh, what? I'm answering people like, yeah, probably would have been better to just not write that article. Would have been, just let that go. Just, let's keep doing something else. Anyway, if you don't know, you can look up the article. Ask me later on that sort of thing. But I'm also just thinking, anybody in the flesh, anyone we look up to, your mentor, your mom and dad, whatever, fail us at certain points. And yet today, it's, it's fitting. And, and I just feel like I need to mention, because that's where I got some of the idea for why did Jesus come. So I'm mentioning that, and I know, oh, man, he's got controversy surrounding him. Do we, do we discount everything he said in the past? I don't think we need to do that. But we, we can disagree where there are things to disagree about. But all that to say, there is only one who has walked this earth that we go, everything, every single thing he said was right on. Every time. That's Jesus. And if these things, you know, you, you, whoever, pick your favorite part, whatever, that you read, whatever, and they fail you, what a blessing that is to go, okay, hold on. This is not, we're, we're looking for saviors horizontally. We have one. He's spoken. And so thankfully we have one. Jesus, the King who does not fail. So that's, that's my word on that. Just, I, I got to just, it's kind of an elephant in a room, just mention that, okay? Now come back. All right. So I mentioned it. There's some of that. You can talk to me after we're, we're over as well. But that's today, we're looking at Jesus now, this king. We're looking at him establishing this everlasting kingdom as one of those answers. Why did he come? To establish this kingdom. Now, the word kingdom, if you're like me, kids in here, if I hear kingdom, I think of knights and, you know, jousting and castles, that kind of kingdom stuff. That's not bad to think about, but think about it this way. One, um, one dictionary defines the kingdom of God as this. If it helps you, if you're, we're kind of stuck in medieval kingdoms, you know, in, in that kind of, kind of mindset, they say this, the kingly rule of God in the lives of or what it, okay, here's how it defines the kingdom of God. The kingly rule of God in the lives of people and nations. It refers to the recognition of the authority of God rather than a definite geographical area and begins with the ministry of Jesus Christ. One ESV study Bible, rule and reign. This ruling and reigning, as we talked about, I think, when we, when we went through Mark before. This kingdom is not it's not an equal kingdom among others. And all other kingdoms are, in fact, subject to this kingdom of God and this king. And as Christ then comes to earth, what we're celebrating, the kingdom comes near. He's going to speak like that as he comes. So we're going to look at this kingdom which Jesus came to establish and look at it just in three parts. That's why we started in Daniel, but we're kind of looking a bit all over the place in, in some ways, you might say. But we're going to look at it in three parts. The first part here is the, the prophecies of the Old Testament. What about those? So we're kind of historically, what's the Old Testament about this kingdom? Looking briefly, we're going to go a couple spots. Then we're going to look at those prophecies fulfilled in Jesus' life. So 
Kingdom, Old Testament, Isaiah, Second uh, Samuel where we are, and, and Daniel, the life of Jesus, and then, and then what does that mean for us? What is his kingship, Jesus? What does that mean for us with some thoughts on that? So that's kind of where we're going. So first, a little background, the kingdom of Christ in the Old Testament. Our Advent reading. Thank you, Steve and Amanda and family. Appreciate you doing that for us today. They read from 2 Samuel 7, that promise given to King David, King of Israel, of one who would rule on his throne forever. There's a promise given to David. He's, he, he was the one anointed by God to rule over his people, and then God says to David, to his offsprings, I'm going to establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So there's this promise to David coming through. And we see that in the genealogy even of Jesus and Matthew, this, this lineage of David. Head to Isaiah chapter 9. Now we'll, we'll come back through Daniel if you want to leave a finger there, if, that's, if you finally found it and, and you want to stay there. But Isaiah 9, head there for just a second. Isaiah 9, I'm not going to read all of it. I'll read verses 6 through 7. But Isaiah 9, we've got this prophecy of those, a prophecy that those dwelling in a land of darkness, now that's Galilee of the nations, think, wow, where did Jesus minister? Oh, Galilee. Okay, cool. On them, it says, a light has shined. And then we've got these familiar words in, in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Now, in light of what we're talking about, Jesus came to establish a kingdom. Think about this. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So Isaiah, written some 700 years before we get to that manger scene in Bethlehem, predicts a child's going to be born. A son will be given to reign over David's kingdom. And it it says to establish and and uphold it. Now, one more place, back to Daniel, Daniel 7. In a little section that I read, particularly verse 13 and 14 in Daniel 7. Now, earlier in, in the book of Daniel, he records Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, had a dream, and he was demanding its interpretation. Nobody could figure it out. Nobody could even tell him his dream, but Daniel could. And Daniel not only tells him the dream of these four kingdoms, but he says, in the days of those kings, presumably the Roman Empire, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Now that was Daniel chapter 2, I believe. As we get to Daniel 7, some chronologically maybe 55 years later, Daniel has his own dream now of four great beasts. And it seems that these beasts refer to kingdoms, Babylonians, Medes and Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. And in the midst of this vision, we've got Daniel 7, particularly verses 13 through 14. Again, just to look at it. I saw in the night visions, 
And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You hear the, the foreverness of this kingdom. This is different than any other kingdom. And this one, like a son of man, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man over and over again as we read about him in the New Testament. Now, as far as timing goes, I believe the main timing of Daniel 7, what we just read, is referring to Jesus' second coming when he comes again, when he returns for his own. And yet, this kingdom is, has also come near. That's what Jesus says. And it's it to you. I like the word inaugurated. It's inaugurated at Jesus' first coming. And it's that familiar phrase I've used and I'm borrowing it from other theologians to think about this, there's the already of the kingdom when Jesus came, and there's the not yet when this Son of Man will come in the clouds. So there's the already and then the not yet, and sometimes those are hard. Which, where are we, that sort of thing. Maybe that helps you as we think of this kingdom. And so Jesus comes, incarnate in the flesh, to Bethlehem, grows up. We'll look at that. The, the kingdom has come near. But it won't be the same as it will be in the end. Even, even Jesus himself, he's going to predict the Son of Man. He's going to predict that suffering. Uh, Mark 8 says this and, about Jesus. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, now we're like, okay, we got an idea where that's from, from Daniel. And also kind of shows, I think, his, his humanness, his flesh nature as well. So he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This king, Daniel 7, is going to be exalted, but this king will also suffer. So let's jump forward. Let's look at Jesus' life to the New Testament as the kingdom language continues. Now, I don't have a place for you to go right now. I'll mention them as we go along. But again, in, in, our, in our reading, we looked at uh, the wise men. We'll head there. Just, yeah, let's go. Let's, Matthew 2. Look at Matthew 2 as we, as we traverse to this here. Matthew chapter 2. I'm finding it along with you. Awesome to hear pages turning. It's great. Glad you can follow along. We heard about these, these wise men. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's verse 2 of Matthew. They, they ask King Herod, right? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and came to worship him. And they're from, from the east. How interesting. Where is Daniel from? The east. So there's this connection here and this kingship going on and this coming near. And they've come to worship him. Even Jesus' birth itself, born in the city of David, Bethlehem, fulfilling Micah 5 2. Maybe you've, you've, I think that's tomorrow. If you're in the Bible reading plan, you're going to read Micah 5 tomorrow. It says this But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel 
whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And here, coming to Bethlehem, are wise men to worship this king. Now, Jesus begins, grows up, wisdom, stature, grows up, begins his ministry, and Matthew records Jesus went to live in the region of Galilee. Okay, look at chapter 4 of Matthew if you're there. He faced temptation. He conquered that against Satan. Uh, Matthew 4.12, he withdrew into Galilee, and there you'll see some of Isaiah quoted. And look particularly at verse 17 in Matthew 4, verse 17. And here's where now we go, okay, this kingdom of old, this established of David and, and, and Daniel, we see it coming near. Look at verse 17 of Matthew 4. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus comes to bring in, to usher in, establish, inaugurate the kingdom of God. Now, we won't look at, I mean, I don't have down all the references, but think of some of the other stories, just Matthew recording Jesus. Again, he records further, Jesus goes through Galilee. He teaches, he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom, and his fame spreads throughout. He heals the demon oppressed, the epileptics, the paralytics, or paralytics, yeah, paralytics, thanks. He taught with authority. He commands, do you remember the story? He commands wind and waves. Think of this in his kingly. He sends a legion of demons into the sea. The kingdom is near. He forgives sins. A woman, remember, touches his garment. She's healed. And then he goes and he raises a dead girl to life. I think he just says, just arise or uh, child, arise, is all he's got to say. And the girl raises to life. A rule and a reign, if we're in kingdom language, has come to earth. And yet it's veiled, isn't it? It's kind of veiled because, again, Jesus' kingdom, he didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom. And by Matthew 17, we find the disciples, that Mount of Transfiguration, Peter John and James are with Jesus. And all of a sudden on that mount, Jesus' face is altered and it says his clothing became white as light. Luke 9 says dazzling white. We read in Daniel 7, we read of the ancient of days where it says his clothing was white as snow. Here's this king has come. A a veiledness to him, but he's here. But the road, again, the road to establish this kingdom was not just let's grow this earthly kingdom. I think that's why there was some secrecy so that they don't just make him the king of, of now and present of a geographic area. There was, there was a greater, far greater mission Jesus was on. And he would come to build a kingdom of saints. But these saints must be, the subjects of his kingdom must be justified by his blood. And the blood of a pure lamb. And so that's where our kingly story leads us, and it leads us to the last week of Jesus and to the cross. At the beginning of the week, 
think it's Matthew, is it Matthew 21, beginning of the week, Jesus comes. Remember him coming on the donkey, how he came? He came as the king, humble and mounted on a donkey. There's just kingship over and over and over throughout here. And he comes riding into Jerusalem. But by the end of the week, just as Jesus had spoke about the Son of Man, he was delivered up to be crucified. And further in the story, the soldiers of Pilate, they put a scarlet robe on him, kind of that, that kingly type robe. And what? A crown of thorns and a reed in his right hand. They mock him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They didn't know, did they know what they were doing? This is the Son of Man. This is, the King is here. And they mock him. And the mocking continues on the cross. Matthew uh, records for us there. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. It's Matthew 27. And they mock him on the cross. And then darkness. Jesus' words... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the final cry, and Jesus yields up his spirit, this king. And it would appear at that moment, right? We know the rest of the story, but it would appear at that moment that kingdom was not going to be forever. It was momentary and went away. But again, it wasn't an earthly kingdom. And Matthew records, even at that moment of yielding the Spirit, the curtain is torn. The earth shook. Rocks split. Dead people. I mean, this is fascinating. I don't know how often we think it. Dead people raised up and they went into town. It's amazing. Life was raised in what happened to where the centurion watching all this says, truly, this was the Son of God. And we know the story. Three days later, Jesus is raised from the dead. And in Matthew's account, if you're in Matthew, look at Matthew 28. This is so fitting in this book. And I love the gospel writers knew what they were doing by the breath of God, by the inspiration of God to write these, to write God's word. Matthew 28, Jesus is raised from the dead. And look at how we're near the end of the book, aren't we? You've probably got Mark as the next page. Near the end of the book, remember the wise men? Now look at the end, Matthew 28, verse, uh, verse 9, that the women depart from the tomb. They got great joy. They're running to tell the disciples, verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then he says, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. We begin with wise men bowing in worship at the beginning of Matthew, and it ends with women worshiping the risen King. And finally in Galilee, Jesus appears to his disciples. The end of Matthew there, titled the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority, think of rule and reign and kingdom. All authority has been given on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Kingdom language, and so do what? Go make disciples. Go baptize. Teach them to obey what I've commanded you. Make followers of me. And so this son of David, born to Mary, 
inaugurates this kingdom. The ruler of wind and waves, the one raised from the dead, he's going to come again. As Daniel 7 finally, I think, and fully talks about, Jesus will come again. The king will come to reign and finally throw Satan and death and Hades into the eternal lake of fire. So Jesus comes to establish his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and one day he's going to return in these clouds to establish it forever. Okay, that's like quick overview. What does that what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Six thoughts. Six thoughts as we close here. You could probably come up with more. What does this mean for us? What Jesus in the kingdom? King Jesus. One, it means Jesus, his kingdom is not of this world. Praise the Lord. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Jesus spoke of his kingdom before Pilate in John 18. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. That's good news. Um, John MacArthur was asked four years ago at another election, okay, four years ago, he was asked another election, why do you steer clear of politics? Now, hear it, hear it rightly, and don't, I don't think he's saying more than what he's saying, but here's, what he, here's how he answered, and I just I wanted to bring this in if it's, it's helpful to you. He was asked four years ago, why, why, why do you steer clear of politics? He said this, what happens in America politically has, you know, if you know Mark Arthur, is, has absolutely, he says, what happens in America politically has absolutely nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Nothing. Whether America is Republican or Democrat, whether it is libertarian or socialist, whether it becomes a communist country, or whether it becomes a dictatorship. Now, I think MacArthur's saying, let's go, just whatever. You know, if you're drawn, we need to vote, exercise, all those things. I don't think he's saying forget it. It's just remember the big picture. The kingdom of Jesus is not dependent on votes or elections or parties or all these sorts of things. It's, it's beyond that. It's not of this world. We have a king, and God's kingdom is a sure kingdom, and no, no vote, no country, no, no regime, nothing can thwart the kingdom. Not even the death of the king because he rose again. I hope that's comforting for you. Not an excuse to say, well, we don't have to care about our nation. Don't, don't hear that in there. We care about things. It's where God's put us, the freedoms he's given us, but we can draw hope. His kingdom is not of this world. That's number one. Number two, related, I think. Jesus as king rules over all. We read it in the God, or I, I mentioned it at least. Disease, death, Satan's temptation, wind and waves. Everything is beneath and subject to the forever authority of King Jesus. This is good news. Jesus rules over all. Rose over the, the wind, talked about even a couple weeks ago. 
Number three, Jesus as king is worthy to be worshipped. As a king, he is worthy to be worshipped. He's holy and pure. And we, too, are to join with the wise men in Bethlehem and the women at the tomb in worship of this king. Now here, I'm going to quote from Psalm chapter 2, verse 12. And this can either be chilling and frightening or comforting. Here's what Psalm 2 says. Kiss the sun. Now we're not used to that language. Kiss the sun. Language honor. Revere, obey, submit to, kiss the son. That's the, the language there. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The question for you today, will you honor this King Jesus above anything else? He's, he's not simply the cute baby In the feeding trough, he's a king, a ruling king, the king, the highest authority to be feared and to one day bring justice on all things. And for those who have repented of sin and put their faith in the king and worshiped him, eternal life. For those that have rebelled and said, not in my life, king, I'm going to do my own thing, eternal damnation. King Jesus demands a response from us. It's not, I'll get to it, I'll respond later. That's a response of not kissing the Son. There's a response from us to this King, to fear Him or despise Him and face His wrath. But then here's, and then within that, what's amazing about this King, number four, that Jesus as King died for sinners. Paul says to Titus, in the book of Titus chapter, chapter 2, he says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Those who have been purified by the blood of Christ are citizens of this kingdom of Jesus. And yet this king humbled himself, shedding blood on the cross, facing that forsaking of the Father that we might live in his kingdom forever. Jesus as king died for sinners. So what do we do with this? Number five and six. What do we do with Jesus as king? These are facts. He's worthy to, we, to, we're to worship. What do we do? Number Number five, seek first the kingdom. Last place I'll have you go, Luke chapter 12. Look at Luke chapter 12. And I love, I'm promoting today, if you hear me, I think this is the second time, just to read through the Bible. If you've not been on a plan or you don't know where to go, just read through it. We were just uh, in Luke, be it, I think it was yesterday. Yeah, yesterday was Luke. And the call of the gospel here, and the call to seek first the kingdom of God. And part of this text deals with with Jesus calling us in Luke 12. I'm going to be looking at verse 29 if you need to find your way there. Deals with, with Jesus calling to guard us against coveting, saying one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he goes on later to say, don't be anxious about your life. And look at verse 29 then, if you're in Luke 12, 29. 
And he says this, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. This is the king talking. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you as well. Seek his kingdom. And how do we seek his kingdom? The next verse is answer, verse 32 through 34. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. Who is that? Jesus. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't think God is telling us don't enjoy any food or anything of this world. But where's our treasure? Where's our heart at? And it's to be in Christ the King, to seek Him first. And then lastly, having sought His kingdom, number six, what do we do with King Jesus? We proclaim the kingdom of Jesus. Proclaim it. We saw this in Matthew. Jesus tells His disciples at the end of Matthew, go, Make disciples, baptize, teach them to, do, to obey what I've commanded. And then Luke, Jesus speaks to those desiring to follow him. He says in part, he says, As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Proclaim it. And to the man, there was a man, that man tormented, who, who Jesus sent the legions of demons into the pigs, and they ran down the hill into the, into the sea, it says. That man wants to go with Jesus. Jesus tells him, tells that, that healed man in Luke 8, he says, no, return to your home and declare. Go back home, your place, and declare how much God has done for you. And it says, and he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Proclaim the kingdom. King Jesus reigns eternally. He rules over all. He's worthy to be worshipped. He died to bring us to Him. So let us seek His kingdom and then proclaim His kingdom to a world in darkness. Let's pray. Father, we've scratched the surface of my mere words to explain the greatness of your kingdom. It is far infinitely greater than one man can, can even explain or even as we just briefly think about through Scripture. Lord, I pray for each soul gathered in this place today, including the preachers, that we would seek first your kingdom. We would have no other king. We would not be those in rebellion and saying, just wait, give me another week and then I'll, I'll follow the king. Lord, may we, as we understand kissing the Son, honoring, obeying, submitting, may we kiss the Son and not face Your wrath, but repent. Say, Lord, we're sinners. And You've died for our sin and we thank You and we trust You by faith and we worship You. And so we hold on to that promise of Psalm 2, blessed are all who take refuge in You, Jesus. Lord, our King, our Savior, you are a refuge. 
We praise you for that. Enable us, Lord, to proclaim it to the places we live, the people we talk to, and where we're at. We ask in your name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.